finishing up the Gospel of Mark, headed into the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. If you're interested in hearing more about that, it's time to go off the top. Thanks for bearing with me in uh, the absence. I had a lot of stuff going on with family, so I am back to finish up our look at Mark. And I just want to be clear that this is obviously not an exhaustive treatment of any of the Gospels. Um, uh, We're going to probably do a course on that uh, here coming in the fall. I'm just giving some overview of some really exciting things related to the redactive methods that... um, the writers of the Gospels use. And so last week I shared my theory that I think that Mark was possibly written in Galilee um, after Peter was released uh, from prison. And then it says that he uh, disappears after that, after he gives the them the lowdown on the Gentiles and what had happened to him. We don't know what else happens uh, to Peter. So it could be that Mark and Peter meet back up and that's where they pin the gospel of Mark. Um, the reason I think that is because it's very clear, like we looked at how verses 16, uh, 9 through the rest of Mark don't really seem to fit. And um, it seems that someone tacked all of those things on at the very end, but it would also provide some insight into why this gospel was written so quickly and so urgently. It's just a very interesting way that the book was written. Um, It's also clear when you're reading Mark that he obviously was not intending to produce a formal gospel. The, The Greek that he used, the ways that he used certain letters, the way that it reads in the Greek, it's just very clear that this was not intended to be what we know of as a gospel narrative. And it seems a little bit more intentional on the parts of Matthew and Luke and John that they knew what they were doing and they wrote for a specific purpose. With Mark, he clearly has a redactive intention. He's clearly got a message about Jesus that he's trying to communicate. But to me, it seems that the goal of Mark is to try to encourage people who are in the midst of current suffering. And we see that in the book of Mark, we are introduced to this powerful Messiah-like figure who has power over demons and sickness. He heals people. He speaks with authority. He teaches with authority. Even though Mark doesn't give us a ton of Jesus' teaching, we do see a lot of his actions. And so we know that this person, whomever he is, um, Mark is telling us is the son of God, and he is extremely powerful. But what happens um, towards the end in the climax of the book is that Jesus in in Mark 10 begins to, to flip the script on them. And, you know, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, and we've had this messianic secret. All of these, everyone's being super secretive in this gospel um, up until chapter 10. There, there's, you know, Jesus doesn't want anyone to, to know who he is. There's so many secrets. The, the disciples don't understand what's going on. They don't know who he is. There's all of this confusion around what's supposed to happen. And so Mark's giving you this picture of this very powerful figure all through the beginning of his gospel. And it's juxtaposed with sort of these people that are just, you know, outright against him or people that are just very confused and don't really understand what's going on. 
um, up until Peter makes this confession of Christ. And Jesus says, and the son of man, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so what we see happening here is this shift that Mark is really trying to say, you know, servanthood and suffering is not antithetical to being powerful. In fact, that the power that this Messiah possesses is not what they thought it would be, that his power and his authority is most aptly demonstrated in the fact that he will lay down his life, that he will be the servant of all. Um, And so that's kind of like the main ideas happening in Mark. There are tons of really awesome parallels that are done there. Um, But we see, you know, first that Jesus, when he enters into Jerusalem in Mark's gospel, it's the it's the perfect time for him to make this public announcement that the secret is revealed, that the Messiah is here. And now he enters into all this conflict with everybody and he confronts these people with his superiority in wisdom and strength and in understanding. But at the, at the same time, he is going to the cross and he continues to try to tell his disciples that. And I think what's so, what's so beautiful to me about Mark's gospel is, is the intention of it. It's messy. It's raw. Um, it's not meant to be a long drawn out story that has all these facts. It's, it almost feels to me as though Mark was in the midst of suffering, I believe he wrote his gospel in the mid fifties. So about 20 years or so um, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it was very close, very close to the events. Mark was living in the time period of the, of the acts of the apostles. Um, Like we talked about, I believe he was the young man who not only brought the disciples to eat in the upper room, but he was the young man who followed at a distance. And when Jesus was arrested, he ran away. So I think that Mark is just this beautiful young man who is starting to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we get that understanding, even as he writes his gospel, that sort of, even as John Mark is writing his gospel, he's growing up and he's realizing that the ultimate way to glory is not through these, necessarily through these demonstrations of grandeur and strength, but the way to glory is actually through persecution um, and suffering. Many people believe that I was the unidentified young man who fled naked on the night Jesus was betrayed, as only the Gospel of Mark describes. Many experts believe that my good friend Peter helped guide the writing of my book. Since my book is the shortest of the Gospels, many experts believe that it was the first gospel account written and that the other gospel writers might have used it for source material. For example, more than three quarters of my book also is found in the gospel of Luke and gospel of Matthew. So I'll concentrate on some things found in my book, but not found in those two gospels. So I think that that's what we get from Mark. I think that's what he uniquely brings to the table. Uh, For me, the most um, staggering thing is just the context in which John Mark was written. The fact that he pays attention to the bumbling and fumbling and ignorance and pride and the wavering faith of all these disciples. And I think that's largely due in part to his gospel being dictated to him. It's so important to, to recognize that because... Mark's mom was loaded. She was rich. He was around 
rich people. He was around powerful people his whole life. And so for him to see that this son of God, this this person who was supposed to have the most power and the most strength and had the most influence, this was the way that he was going to prove that to people. Whereas he had been around all of the wealthy people in Israel, all of the wealthy people in Jerusalem. His mother had money and probably supported the work of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. We know that she supported the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's so important to me that we really grasp um, the personal history of the writers because that plays into not only what they want us to know, but what was so compelling to them about Jesus. I was well acquainted with other wealthy Jews and the Jewish leaders such as Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. That's why I was able to give so many details of the night of Jesus' death. You see, I, I would have had the relationships to personally listen in at the house of Annas and before the Sanhedrin, or to learn the details from others who were there. It might even have been my influence that allowed Peter to enter the courtyard where he denied Jesus. When you read my account, you'll learn the details of the last night of Jesus' first life. He was seized at Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, dragged across the Kidron Valley ravine to the house of the high priest where Peter denied him, tried before the high priest, before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate, and condemned to death by Pilate. I tell you about how the soldiers mocked and beat Jesus before taking him to his place of crucifixion. I write about how Jesus died quicker than Pilate expected and how Joseph of Arimathea risked his reputation and position by going to Pilate and boldly asking for the body of Jesus. When Pilate learned from his centurion that Jesus was dead, he gave the body to Joseph. This is a bold move on Pilate's part since he might have expected the followers of Jesus to use the body to stir up trouble. He must have known and trusted Joseph to act honorably which he did. Joseph wrapped the body in linen cloth, laid it in a tomb prepared for himself, and rolled a stone over the entrance to bring the story of the life of Jesus to an end. And that was the end of Jesus' earthly life, that is. get details in in John Mark's gospel that we don't get in Matthew and Luke. Those are not reasons for us to necessarily dismiss the gospels as being unreliable, but they're actually meant to draw us into curiosity about why is it included and who are they trying to talk to? And it's so cool because without all of these four perspectives um, on Jesus, um, and without all of these four ways in which Jesus could be relevant, and we'll talk more about that when we get to Luke, it's so amazing because it gives you on-ramps. It gives you entry points into the life, the ministry, the desires of Jesus, the point of the coming of Jesus. And so it's so amazing. The Gospels become for us a beautiful tapestry that are of diverse perspectives and positions even on who Jesus is and what he was about. 
that I'm just trying to give us sort of an introduction into beginning to really um, love and adore and 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 devour the gospels. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a quick, really, really quick closing of the gospel of Mark. Um, if you want to read that one, I think you should go into reading that one with with an understanding of what the context is. It is not, he's not concerned with necessarily the deity of Jesus. He's not concerned necessarily with the teaching of Jesus. I believe Mark is trying to hurry up and write down either what is being told to him in real time by the Apostle Peter, or he's trying to hurry up and write down what he's heard from Peter because Peter is on his way to being martyred. So that's uh, the end of our treatment of the Gospel of Mark. And I think we're going to jump into Matthew next. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about the synoptic problem and show you some really awesome things about how we understand how these people chose, picked, how these people pick and choose um, what they're going to include in their gospels based on what they're trying to communicate. But I also will try to show you guys that not only are they trying to communicate something specific, they're trying to communicate in, in contemporary time with what's happening um, in terms of redemptive history and in terms of what God is doing in and through the Spirit. So, quick little one. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for letting me go off the top. On Sunday, I came way down in green, oh, with the kings. Fell on that day, first born of the slain. The man Jesus Christ laid death in his grave.
on Sunday a king Lay down in grief and walk with the kings To kneel on that day, firstborn of the slain The man Jesus Christ If you appreciated this episode and you want more content from Subculture Inc., make sure you head over to our website at www.subcultureinc.org. And once again, thank you for listening.